0: Bless our time. In Christ's name, amen. I want to introduce Paul Chin Chin to you. He is an uh, educational degree doctorate. Is that it? Yeah. And he is the president of African Bible Colleges. There are three locations now: Liberia, Malawi, and Uganda. And Paul and his wife Laura have been there at what is called ABC for twenty two years and they have five children and he's going to come and speak to us a little bit about african bible college
1: well good afternoon and let me just say thank you very much to don blackburn and reverend kinsner for inviting me to give a report this afternoon, and I also wanted to say how much I appreciate your church inviting me and my twin brother, having us tag team back and forth here during your mission conferences over the last three years, although I know it has caused a little bit of confusion from time to time. When I was here last year, March, with our music group, uh, Mongoli, that sang here at the church don had organized for me to preach in the morning service and so we got here early and we're coming in through the first street entrance here and there was an usher opening the door and as soon as we got inside there was a young lady and her son who was 10 or 12 years old standing there had been waiting for me to come and she goes oh palmer we have been waiting for you to come back and speak here we saw in the bulletin that you're going to be speaking my son loved hearing you last year during the missions conference He's been excited all week, and I just, I'm hanging my head. I said, I am so sorry, I said, but I'm Paul. That's my twin brother, Palmer, and she looked at me, and she said, are, are you serious? I said, I said yeah, we, we do look alike. We're identical twins, but he's Palmer, and I'm Paul, and so they left kind of disappointed, and, and just as they turned around and leave the usher who was holding the door open, he turned to Don and me, and he kind of winked, and he goes, you're just kidding, right? And I said, "Kidding about what?" He said, "Kidding about having a twin brother." And I said, "No, no, we, there really are two of us." But I did want to say a quick thank you about two things. Uh, one, just recently, about uh, for the autoclave that your church helped us buy for our mission hospital. Uh, I don't know how many of you know, but. Nine years ago, your church helped build a labor and delivery ward for our hospital. We call it the Dot Lucas Ward. But just this last year, a year ago, we got our first full-time OBGYN. Well, immediately she started having problems doing C-sections because our autoclave was older than our hospital, probably 20 years old. It was leaking. It wasn't holding pressure. It wasn't getting up to the right temperatures. She said, I can't do any more C-sections, so you get a real autoclave in here. And your missions committee was very generous, and within three, four weeks, we had one flown out from China over to Malawi. So very grateful for that. And just when my wife and I were leaving Malawi, this was, we just left last week, Monday, so just nine days ago. The night before we left, your autoclave and our, our OBGYN saved the life of one of our staff members, His name is Danford. He had brought his wife in. He works in our dental clinic there at the hospital. His wife was in labor, had been in labor for a couple of hours. So our doctor there worked with her, tried forceps, everything, finally decided to do an emergency C-section, took the baby out, and then immediately realized this lady had had complications earlier and a Malawian physician, they call them nurse practitioners, uh, they call them clinical officers, kind of like a nurse practitioner, had sewed her up in a horrible way and and our doctor said there's no way this lady would have ever given natural birth to to the baby if she hadn't come into our clinic the baby would have died the mother would have surely died that night so just that was the night before i got on the plane your dot lucas ward and your autoclave and our surgeon helped save the life of that mother and a baby but the other thing i wanted to say thank you for was for our computer lab and I we just sent out a letter I don't know how many of you are on our mailing list and I noticed right before I got on the plane to come we used a picture out of your new uh, computer lab with all the computers there Don and Janet have them on the table if you want to get one of these afterwards but I wanted to say thank you for that uh, because it's a, a, a beautiful lab gives our students a huge advantage my wife has been teaching keyboarding classes there for 15 16 years at the college But she doesn't just teach them how to type. She gets them up to 40 words a minute by Christmas but teaches them how to use Microsoft, how to use Word, how to get online. Um, Gives them a huge advantage when they leave ABC. There's no other university in Malawi or in Africa that I've ever heard of that teaches real keyboarding classes, that teaches the students really how to type properly. Just two days before we left, one of our graduates was at our house. His name is Steve Chibope. And he was in the living room, and he was, wasn't thanking me for any classes I taught him, but is telling my wife, thank you so much for the keyboarding class that you taught me when I was here six or seven years ago. He said, every single committee, he said, every meeting that I'm in, they always give me the job of being the secretary. He said, other people do have laptop computers, but he said, I'm the only one that really knows how to type. Everyone else is doing like this. So it does give our students a huge advantage. But I, I wanted to say thank you, not just for making an investment in ABC, but because of the very worthwhile investment that you're making in Christ's kingdom in Africa. ABC, because of your church's help, and this goes way back to the mid 1970s. When how long ago was Jim Baird and in Canada were here years ago? But your church has helped build all three of our college campuses and making a huge difference in Africa, a huge impact. Uh, In this last mailing we sent out, and again, Don has these on the table if you want to get one when you're leaving, but it's a a list of where some of our graduates, we have well over a 1,000 graduates by now, but we track down two or 300 of them. We put them in this booklet, but it describes what they're doing in God's kingdom. And it's not just in church. It's not just in Christian ministry. It's in education. It's in government. It's in business. It's in mass media. Don and Janet's first trip to Malawi was in 1995, and they were there to help uh, um, Jim Lawhon. I don't know how many of you remember Jim Lawhon put up our first radio station. We now have three Christian radio stations in Africa, but he put the first one up in Malawi. That was 1995. That was the first private, uh, not Christian, the first private station in the whole country Malawi, period. For 30 years, it had... One radio station is run by the government, kind of like the old communist Russia radio stations. And it was all government propaganda. We were the first one. And from 95 to the year 2000, for five years, we were the government's only competition. We had almost a a complete captive listening audience. People were done listening to the government. And then after that, they introduced other private uh, radio stations. And then TV came in nine years ago, 2002. But because we had had a mass communication program in place for seven or eight years leading up to that, the only people the government could hire to run their radio stations and run all the other private stations in town and TV stations were ABC graduates. And in in this letter I sent out, I was telling the story about being at the U.S. ambassador's house. His name is Ambassador Peter Bodie, and this was last year, June, about 11 months ago. And I'm at his house, and it was a big reception. There were plenty of other more important people for him to talk to, but he came looking for me. And Ambassador Bode said, Oh, Paul, he said, I've been looking for you. He said, One thing that my office does in, in, at the embassy, he said, I have a political affairs officer. His job is to find out who's influencing the masses, who's influencing the people in every country where the U.S. has a presence. He said, Is it extremist? Is it socialist? Is it communist? what kind of people are influencing the, the people of Malawi, and where have they been trained. And he said they brought the report. He said, it's on my desk right now. He said, I was looking at it the other day, and he goes, well, this fellow was trained at ABC. This person was trained at ABC. This person, he said, I'm starting to think every single person in the mass media business in Malawi is an ABC graduate. And that was from someone who I don't even believe is a, is a believer, but appreciating what ABC is doing and the big impact that we've had but let me just finish by saying we are really at a critical time in Africa right now. Two reasons. One, for the last 20, maybe even 30 years, ABC has been almost the only player in the game. Every country in Africa, there's 52 of them, they always have their big state university, and we have one in Liberia, University of Liberia, there's one in Malawi, University of Malawi, and 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 besides that we've been one of the only other private colleges and so we get overwhelmed with applications for students to come to our college we get about eight hundred to thousand applications a year we take roughly eighty a year at our college there in malawi but now in recent years there's been a tremendous demand by people in africa for higher education it's like the chinese going from bicycles to cars overnight and it's the same in Africa. Africa's developing quickly, and there's a tremendous demand for university-level education. The government, their big university, just four years ago only had 6,000 students. They're up over 14,000 students now. They've just built a new university in the north with another 5,000 students. The Chinese are helping them build another big university in the south that'll have seven or 8,000 students. And it's like that all across Africa. It's not just Malawi. And so the question is, are we, as a church, as Christians, as as an institution, African Bible College, are we going to grow with that? Are we going to be able to take in more than 80 new students every year? We only have about 250 students in Malawi. So we need to expand our facilities, our degree programs. Are we going to stay at the cutting edge of higher education, or are we going to be left behind? The second thing that makes us a very critical time in Africa is Islamic influence. It's not a joke. The Muslims are not satisfied. We as Americans, we're happy if we feel like we have a chance to vote for somebody that's going to be president. We're satisfied. There's democracy in place. The Muslims aren't satisfied until they are controlling everything. The fact that they have a vote doesn't matter to them. That's not what they want. They want complete control, just like they have in Iraq, just like they're fighting for uh, in, uh, in Iran. Uh, The whole incident in Egypt, I don't know if you remember a few months ago when Mubarak was run out. If you look at who started that, it was called the Islamic Brotherhood. They started that whole Arab Spring where all of these, these little potentates are being pushed out of place. They're moderates, and they're coming in in the guise of, well, we want democracy. But it really is the Arabs trying to take over, not just the Arabs, but Muslims wanting to take over country by country. It started in North Africa. It's down in West Africa, where I grew up in Liberia. The country next door to us was Sierra Leone is already a Muslim country. The other country on the other side of Liberia is Ivory Coast. Just a month ago, the Muslims, the rebels in the north, just overtook the capital city of Abidjan with the help of the UN. It's now a completely Muslim country. In Nigeria, they just had elections a month ago. Uh, A Christian actually won the elections, but the Muslims in the north were so upset, they had riots, over 400 people were killed because their Muslim candidate wasn't elected. So the point is, are we going to raise up the Christian leadership that can hold off the Muslims in all of these countries? Uh, We're doing it now in Malawi, we're doing it in Uganda, but we need to grow our facilities, our staff, so that we can hold those off. Let me just also finish by saying thank you. For many of you were praying for our family. Um, We sent out an email. This was about four weeks ago. My wife had very serious malaria. I know the Blackburns got the email and a few other people I've talked to in the church. We appreciate you praying for her. We've been in Malawi 22 years. My wife has never had malaria. Uh, But just a month before we left Malawi, just four weeks ago, she had. She. She's the um, assistant principal at our day school that we run there at the mission, and she had just quit her job there so she could pack up and get ready to come back on furlough. She got. She was very tired, a little bit stressed. The malaria was very severe. They grade malaria on a scale of one to four. Uh, one is a light case. Two's worse. Three's pretty bad. Four, you're dead, basically. Uh, and hers was three plus malaria they had to give her three IV drips of quinine. she was in bed for 10 days delirious her ears there's all kinds of side effects to the quinine and the malaria and her ears are ringing like mad and we have this doctor from New Zealand and was coming to the house to check on her and so I'm asking her I said you know Laura can't hear anything and her ears are ringing she's wondering if that's gonna go away and the doctor kinda dry faced not trying to be funny she goes well It usually does, Uh, which wasn't very comforting to Laura, but about a week later she got her hearing back. So thank you for praying for her, and uh, I was just filling in the Blackburns. Our two oldest girls, we have five kids, as John said earlier, three of them were born in Malawi, two of them at your Dot Lucas uh, maternity ward there, but our two oldest girls, one just graduated from Covenant College last Saturday, the other one's finishing high school. She's graduating June 1 and starting university, so we'll leave uh, those two in the States when we go back next summer with our younger three. But thank you very much for a chance to share with you this, this uh, afternoon, and I'll look forward to meeting with the missions committee after your service. Thank you.
0: to the book of Philemon with me. I'm going to read the center section of this little epistle. And we're looking in this particular time at the need of leadership. <clears throat> you have the situation where Paul is the apostle. Philemon is this man who's a church leader. He has this runaway slave named Onesimus, now there is the need of a Christian reconciliation. And in verse 8, Paul writes, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains? Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take care, take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated for, from you for a little while was that he might ha- you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. First time we looked at this, we spoke about how God was working behind the scenes. And I would want you to know, no matter what the situation you find yourself in, no matter what the difficulty it is, if you're a believer, you have to have confidence all the time God is working behind the scenes in ways that you cannot perceive because all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose Paul's in this prison in Rome here's this slave from Asia Minor and he comes almost a thousand miles to get away from his master this man Philemon and he ends up in some close companionship with the Apostle who has led Philemon to faith in Christ. How odd. And then it gets odder still as Paul sees this slave come to faith in Christ. During this time back in Colossae there's a church conflict that's really getting beyond the ability of the pastor, Epaphras, to handle, and so Epaphras leaves that part of Asia Minor, travels to Rome to consult with Paul, and when he arrives there, who is there ministering to Paul but this slave of a person that's a member of his church? And you're saying, how does all this work out? And it all works out. It always works out this way. Because God's working behind the scenes. You see this, and it's a part of the beauty of the story of Philemon. Now, the other aspect you see here you have three men primarily Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Uh, you know, there's the old stories of how the Baptist preachers used to preach, and when the preaching was over, somebody would go to the p- preacher at the end of the service and say, Preacher, As you were preaching today, you had us, how do they say? Right in the palm of, yeah. Well, okay. All three of these men are right in the palm of God's hand. Their hearts mutually burn to offer their hearts to the Lord promptly and sincerely. We talked about how that was Calvin's motto. And it serves us as a good understanding of the nature of these three men. These men are dying to self daily, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. These men are seeking daily to understand how they can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But these three men now have a commonly shared problem, and it's a great problem. What's the need The need is for leadership. Somebody has to be the person that's going to come forward and address this problem in a way that brings the Lord's mercies, the Lord's grace, and the Lord's person to bear on this. And so Paul leads the way. You know, I just want to encourage you and have you think, You all are involved with people. And I have no doubt if we were to go around here and say we're going to have a contest amongst you all to see which one of you is involved in the messiest situation in somebody else's life. Now, how many of you all would say that doesn't include me? (laughs) Are any of you just totally left out of somebody else's mess? I don't know a soul. Paul is here, and he is a Christian, and he's taking leadership. Now, there's an enormous number of principles that come to bear here. What do you do? What do you do? What does this man do? And the simple answer is he's going to do whatever is right in the eyes of the Lord. People are always looking for preferential treatment. They want us to side with them. The other person wants us to side with them. My brother was a policeman. They they said the worst place for a policeman to be. Take a guess where it was. In the middle of a domestic dispute. You never know who was going to shoot you in a domestic dispute. This is a domestic dispute. Paul is fearless. We need to be fearless. The Lord promises to use us, to use us in other people's lives, just like he's using Paul. Someone has to lead the way. Now, as we look at this, what we see simply is that Paul is leading the way in the way Jesus would lead the way. How did Jesus speak of his ministry? Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul is going to lead in that manner. First, he's going to take on the obligation of writing. So words are going to have to be communicated. They have to be communicated to Philemon. They have to be communicated for Onesimus. Um, A lot of times it's wise to zip it, but a lot of people use that as an excuse. To get out of the way. As Christians, we need to be confident. What has the Lord promised us if we're thrown into a trial? What has he said? I will be with you. Do not worry what you are going to say. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say. That's what Paul's doing here. He's certainly not doing this in his own strength. He is totally reliant on the Lord as he moves forward in the writing. What does he tell us he's doing here? From the beginning of this epistle, he is praying. He is praying for Philemon. He is praying for Onesimus. He's praying for the church that's meeting in their midst. Paul is serving just the way Jesus served. If you study the life of Jesus, you find Jesus sneaking away, away from the multitude, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes all night, sometimes sending the disciples away from him so that he can pray over these same kind of issues. We have to speak, but we have to pray. And we see this here. We see that he is involved. He's getting involved. I don't want to use this as a great illustration, but do you remember Dobie Gillis? Any of you remember that? Remember Dobie Gillis had a partner? Remember the partner's name that got the little beard? Maynard. <laughs> Go online. It's all right there. You can find about Maynard. You remember Maynard was always doing this stuff at the beginning of the show. What was Maynard's role? He had dropped out. That was Maynard's role. He had dropped out. Now, gang, we would like to opt out. Nobody wants to be involved in somebody else's problem. You look at this problem, do you really want to be there in the middle of this? The answer is no one does. But the reality is, we're all involved in problems like this. Christ won't be heard if we opt out. That's something you have to be confident about. What did the man say to his niece Esther? Who knows? if you weren't put here for a time just like this. This is what we're seeing. You're in the same situation. You need to get involved. You remember as, I don't know if you remember like, I I can remember back, I I can remember it very distinctly. I was in the fourth grade. I was learning civics. I learned a, a, a phrase that our teacher disparaged. Don't be like this, she said. She taught us the phrase, let blank do it. Who's blank? George. Who's George? George is the government. George is the government. Let George Washington, let George do it. It's a statement about civics, and it takes personal responsibility and pushes it off on another organization or body. She hated that. We can't do that. We have to take part in our culture. You see, this man, the last thing I'd like to say about this, in guiding and nurturing, he's saying things in a way that softens the dynamic of a serious situation. He could have said, I know that Onesimus stole from you, but he says, if he owes you anything. He could have ratcheted the language up. Over and over as you go through here, the language is the language of a peacemaker. The language is the language of a bridge builder. The language is the language of a healer. The language is the language of a person that is speaking the words of Christ in a difficult situation. We can't opt out. We have to see that this letter is showing us a guide and a pattern in the way we deal with each other in very, very difficult situations. May the Lord bless us and use us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to take a few brief moments, look at this passage, and see the wonderful example of a wonderful story that has a wonderful outcome. Now, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.